and they may not put, put that picture together that they're that they have sound sensitivity and um, that their brain is doesn't either have the energy to work to create a filter to filter out those background noises and help you differentiate the noises that you do want to hear or it just doesn't have the energy to filter out the uh, background noises and the the noises are just inundating the brain that's already really sensitive with this harsh stimulus. What's it like to live with the effects of a traumatic brain injury and how can you recover with strength, grit, fortitude and determination to create your life anew? Let's talk all about it with neurology nurse practitioner, author, and brain injury survivor Kelly Tuttle right here on episode 436 of the Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is about you and your personal and professional development, your career, and the healthcare system in the big picture. And I'm always here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, medicine, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride, and I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And if you'd like to help other people find the show, consider leaving a rating and review on Apple or Google or Amazon or Spotify, or just share from any app where you happen to be listening. I would greatly appreciate that. And if you want to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Nurse Keith. You can pledge as little as $2 a month to help support the production and dissemination of the Nurse Keith show. The show notes can be found at nursekeith.com in the drop-down menu labeled podcasts. And like I said, at the top of the show, we're here with Kelly Tuttle. She is a neurology nurse practitioner, author, and a brain injury survivor. And Kelly, I'm really, really glad to have you here. And the first question I want to ask you is, before you had a brain injury, before you had that experience, what was your knowledge base and what did you think and feel about TBIs? It was very little, um, but I was an advocate for supporting um, brain injuries. I um, often followed um, uh, military uh, pages on on Facebook and so forth to kind of stay attuned to what was going on and uh, to give my support. But before my head injury, very little information. Mm -hmm. Probably like most of us, you hear about, you know, sports figures having concussions and the conversations about helmets and you hear about, you know, TBIs and accidents and things like that. And you know, we, we talk about teenagers and head injuries playing football, you know, so it is, it's part of the conversation out there in the world, but it's sort of like, until you have a condition, it might not be something you think about a whole lot, but you've been a nurse and a nurse practitioner for quite a few years, right? Uh, yes. Over 20 years. Over 20 years. And you were practicing in cardiology at the time. Yes. And so my world was all about heart prevention, mm -hmm. heart disease all, prevention. Yeah. So it was all about the heart. And, yes. you know, when the, when this happened, 
your life changed irrevocably. And can you tell us a little bit about what was happening just before you had the accident? You know, what was your life like? And then how did the accident come about? Sure. So um, before my car accident, I was super active in um, the community with um, my profession. And I was a martial arts enthusiast. And um, I would uh, work a full day with a hour commute both uh, to work and back and uh, finish my evenings either um, involved with a nurse practitioner group that I um, was a leader in uh, or I studied martial arts for a couple hours and um, on Fridays I taught beginning Brazilian jiu-jitsu to women, trying to encourage women at our dojo to learn ground fighting and self-defense. And I also taught a lot of self-defense classes uh, for my dojo and um, at work too. Mm, At work too. So you had a very active Mm -hmm. life. You were a nurse practitioner. You were a martial artist. So you had I mean, you had a full life. You had a lot going on. And then one day something happened that changed your life. So how, how would you paint the picture of what happened? So I was leaving work at the end of the day, heading into karate class. And uh, fortunately I was driving down somewhat of a rural road and a teenager pulled out in front of me at the last minute. And I ended up T-boning her and being in hindsight, a pretty bad car crash. Mm-hmm. And at yeah. the time, I thought, uh, you know, I'll just shake this off, you know, and uh, get back and get back to life. I would just take a couple weeks off and and get back to my training, my working, uh, my advocacy, whether it's for my patients or self-defense for women and being a mom and, and so forth. And I went to work the next day and my colleagues, my nursing colleagues noticed a a difference in my behavior and my speech. And they were very concerned and said, you should see your regular doctor the next day. And I, and so far I, and so I did. And at that time I was diagnosed with a concussion and I left thinking, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, concussion, you know, I'm going to get better in two weeks. And then I also, I'll just take two weeks off and relax and, um, and then I'll be better. And then I can get back on with my life. And what I did was push, I pushed, push, push myself to try to get back into my life. I, um, but uh, I kept hitting a wall and I didn't know what was going on. Um, I was more emotional. Um, I was saying more cuss words than I normally did. Uh, <laughs> not that I'm going to say I never spoke them before. <laughs> okay. <All right. laughs> and uh, I was really surprised too, that I went from two hours of being able to study martial arts to getting shorter breath after two minutes of doing a kata. Mm. And um, I had difficulty with speech and my memory. And um, <clears throat> I was training, I was t- training to test for my third degree black belt. And I got failed. I didn't pass. And 
I thought, well, that's okay. I'll, I'll, uh, uh, keep training and I'll test again. Well, I couldn't get over that hump that I had, um, that I failed. I couldn't get my body to do what I wanted it to do. I would say, you know, my mind, I would say, move your foot forward. It would step back over and over and over again. And I, um, I was still emotional too. And one day I left the, uh, my class, I was very upset. And I was like, golly, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? And I had a good drive home. So I had some time to think about it. And then I realized, you know what? I think that that concussion isn't getting better. I think things are getting worse. And I went back home. I read all my literature I had pulled up before to try to help to get better and realized, oh my gosh, I still have all these symptoms and even more. And I'm worse than I was when I started. And I remember sitting on the couch and looking at my husband going, you know what? I, I don't think I'm healed yet from that concussion. He's like, yeah, uh, no, you're not. (laughs) And I was like, what, why didn't you tell me? And he's like, well, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. And that, yeah. And so um, that started my self-awareness that, oh my gosh, I've got to take this serious. I, I've got to get the care that I need. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I started pounding the doctor's doors and trying to get help. Yeah. So you realized things were different. You were obviously experiencing tremendous fatigue, right? You were tiring after two minutes. Uh, your colleagues were saying your speech was different. You found you were using different language than you would normally use. Um, you know, in reading your book, your your really wonderful book, and we'll have you read an excerpt in a little bit. You know, the risks there are for with a head injury, depression, suicide, substance use disorders. Um, you can get really violent headaches in certain circumstances, and it can really affect your, you know, executive function, organizational skills. I mean, it's a pretty pervasive, like, I mean, there's probably nothing that it can't impact, right? right? So it, it must have felt, it must have felt, I imagine, quite overwhelming to realize that this was, you know, a pretty universal impact on your body and your psyche, right? Right. And um, as you you read in my book, too, there is, there was a a time frame, like the first three months where I lacked Mm self-awareness. I um, uh, didn't know my limitations. So I was trying to go back to martial arts. I was trying to go back to work. And I ended up at one point um, driving home. I was driving home after the car accident from work and I was growing tired halfway through. And at one, at one point as I'm driving, I, I, I think, oh, okay, you know, I'm just going to close my eyes just for a second, lean my head back. And I ended up falling asleep at the wheel and driving off Mm. the road. I was awoken by my car bouncing the loud noise of hitting the gravel and was able to slam on the brakes and not drive into a tree. Wow, Kelly. I mean, you could have had another 
brain injury on top of a brain injury. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And um, you're not going to believe this. Well, first of all, no one thinks it's okay to close your eyes and put your head back while you're driving. But that's that's where my how my brain was working. And then um, uh, usually people would report that to their doctor. But I just thought, well, I don't know honestly what I was thinking. But I this is was my thought was I'll just keep going on with life and I'll just take a nap halfway on the way home and then keep driving. I mean, that's Hmm. crazy. And Hmm. and so dangerous. dangerous. Exactly. Yeah. And um, so then I I went out to lunch with one of my colleagues who was currently working as a neurology nurse practitioner. And she was asking me about my how I was recovering from my concussion. And I mentioned, well, I did fall asleep at the wheel. And she's like, what? And I would, mm. and mm-hmm. she kind of brought it to my attention that that is not okay. And then she mm-hmm. said, you need to go back to your doctor. You need to see a neurologist. You need to get a head CT. You need to um, get uh, a see a physical medicine and rehab doctor, which I'd never heard mm-hmm. about before, but that's because I, I have known those physicians to be uh, uh physiatrist back in the day. Yes. And so I was like, what's a PMR doctor? And so she was telling me, and since that day, I did work very hard to get the things that she had recommended. And I had an appointment with the physical medicine rehab doctor. And that was when I went from going down the wrong road to getting onto the right road of recovery. I see. And in these first few minutes, we've bandied about the term traumatic brain injury, and we've also mentioned the word concussion. So there are different types of brain injury, right? What are those types? Like what, what do we, you know, most of the listeners of this show are nurses, healthcare professionals. What do we need to understand? You know, how many different types of brain injury are there possibly out there that we might encounter in someone we know and a patient and a family member, et cetera? Well, the first thing you should know is that once you see one traumatic brain injury, you've only seen one traumatic brain injury. Mm-hmm. Everyone's symptoms and their recovery is going to be different. So you can't really do, you, you can't put them in the box like this heart patient, what they're going to need, blood pressure control, diabetes control, you know, uh, healthy diet mm-hmm. exercise. You really have to suss out um, the specific symptoms that the person is dealing with, and then you kind of go go from there. And concussion and traumatic brain injury are actually the same thing. Mm-hmm. So um, they all need to be taken seriously, whether it's a mild concussion or a severe brain injury, because you're it would be in you would be amazed the continuum of the recovery, the picture, the later picture of sometimes comparing maybe someone who had a moderate uh, or severe concussion and ended up in an ICU and they leave um, and to live a really full life. Whereas you'll see someone who has a mild concussion and their entire life is devastated. They lose their job, Mm. they lose their marriage, uh, they get into alcohol, you know, could possibly, uh, fall in, uh, to, uh, in jail. Um, 
Mm -hmm. Uh, So it really is different with every person. And um, you just never know until time plays out what's going to happen because the symptoms don't stay the same, you know, or the symptoms are hidden under symptoms. So uh, for instance, what I saw myself and in my, in some of my patients is that if there's an injury that occurs with the head, with the concussion, I like to say head injury. So it kind of encompasses everything. If they have whiplash or say they fractured an arm or or leg with a fall or in a car accident, um, the pain from that joint or that injury, that uh, whiplash will cover a lot of the cognitive issues um, that a patient Hmm. may have and may not notice until that pain is resolved and addressed and the person returns to work. I see. Yeah. And I would assume from what I read in your book and elsewhere that there are millions of people living with the effects of traumatic brain injury in this country and around the world, right? Correct. And some of them aren't even aware. Uh, They may later on uh, down the road, say they uh, were just in a car accident and then down the road, uh, they will find that they have anxiety or depression. Well, a head injury increases your risk of developing anxiety and depression. And that's why you need to watch these people closely. And um, the other thing is that lack of self-awareness. They can, sometimes patients can't articulate that, um, they do have an issue. Like, for instance, some of my patients have, um, have had uh, what I call hearing overload. And hearing hmm. overload happens when the brain is unable to block out, filter background noises. And to the person, it can come, it has, it can um, be felt with different symptoms, such as um, anxiety. Uh, They can feel uh, uh, anxiety when they're in a loud restaurant, or Mm -hmm. they will struggle to hear conversations when they're in a loud restaurant, Mm -hmm. or they'll go out with some friends at a loud restaurant the next day are completely exhausted. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, or they, feel overwhelmed and want to leave the restaurant. And they may not put, put that picture together that they're that they have sound sensitivity and um, that their brain is doesn't either have the energy to work the to create a filter to filter out those background noises and help you differentiate, uh, dif- differentiate the noises that you do want to hear, or it just doesn't have the energy to filter out the uh, background noises and the um, the noises are just inundating the brain that's already really sensitive with this harsh mm-hmm. stimulus. Yeah, it almost sounds like like the brain just can only handle so much and its capacity is different than it used to be. I mean, I, I've known several people, actually many people with head injuries. One person who had a head injury, I think from an MVA as well, and one of her long-term things was that she could not do math. And she was a nurse practitioner. She could not calculate any kind of math problem in her head, even like, you know, something simple in her checkbook. Just the math just would not connect for her. And that's made me think of how you were saying how everybody's so different. Then I knew someone else who 
was hit on the top of the head with a basketball while playing with a pickup game with his kids in his driveway, I think. But it landed from a very high place, you know, from like a really high pass or rebound or something, hit him square on the top of the head. And he had a complete personality change. He went from a 40-year-old, functional, working man, father, husband, to he was like an 11-year-old after that. So, yeah. So thinking about it, I've seen people have all sorts of different manifestations. And before we take a break, I wanted to ask you a question about some of these manifestations that reading about like the organizational skills, the executive function, the kind of like sometimes even attention, like being able to focus. Sometimes it, it, it kind of reminds me of like someone with really severe ADD or ADHD. Is it, does it look like that sometimes? It's sometimes, you know, I read a little bit about the ADHD and, um, and other uh, brain diseases such as Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and, and people who start to, uh, go down the road of dementia and, um, they have, it's this over the uh, over umbrella terminology would be mild co- uh, cognitive impairment. And, mm-hmm. um, and in that venue, there is a lot of similarities and, uh, there are a lot of strategies and tools that people with ADHD would benefit as well as someone who's had a traumatic brain injury or a stroke, um, and so yeah. forth. So, and, and I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't finish in answering your question about The other ways you can get a brain injury is stroke. And um, Mm -hmm. so there's the external uh, uh, impact of uh, to the head, which can cause uh, brain damage. But then there's those um, non-traumatic causes, which is the the stroke, hypoxia, um, toxins like uh, carbon monoxide and things like that. Oh, sure. Those those also count. And those people have similar symptoms and will need help too. So fascinating. Well, when we come back from the break, I want to talk about your book, After the Crash, How to Keep Your Job, Stay in School, and Live Life After a Brain Injury, because I feel like it's a really important book for not just people who are living with the after effects of a head injury, but I think it's very important for providers to read it so that they understand where patients are coming from and the the multifarious permutations that we've already been talking about in terms of recovering and how it happens and then how how it all unfolds in the years following so hang in there with us we will be right back with kelly tuttle right here in episode 436 we'll be right back for the second half of the episode And welcome back to the second half of the episode. We're here again with friend of the pod and my new friend and colleague, Kelly Tuttle, nurse practitioner, author, and neurology nurse practitioner. And Kelly, we've been talking about brain injury, traumatic brain injury, concussion, et cetera. And I mentioned your book before the break, after the crash, how to keep your job, stay in school, 
and live a life after a brain injury, which I think is such an important volume for providers and patients alike. So would you do us the honor of reading some excerpt from the book in your own voice? I think it would be great to hear you read some of it yourself. I would love to. Um, I'll start with uh, chapter one, the beginning of the book. Great. Living with a stranger. Every day I live with a stranger inside my head. At first, I didn't know who she was. I just knew I didn't like her. She was self-centered, emotionally immature, and easily distracted, and she slept all the time. She was annoyingly unmotivated and disorganized. She couldn't arrive on time to an appointment. She was a jerk who cussed too much, got angry easily, and dominated conversations. She couldn't remember anything and made it hard for me to think straight. On really bad days, when I was exhausted and mentally spent, she would whisper to me that I was a stupid failure, reminding me that nothing I did would ever be good enough. She even made me believe that everyone would be better off if I just ended my life. It took me three months to realize this stranger had hijacked my brain and was distorting my personality and perceptions. It was at this time that I started to reassert control over her. But even then, the stranger did not dissipate. And for a few years, I secretly lived with her feeding me thoughts. Often, I kept this hidden from my family and friends. At first, her thoughts were the loud, prominent thoughts of my mind. Fortunately, as time passed, these disturbing ideas and cognitions faded as my head injury healed. Years later, I no longer consider her a stranger. She is my new brain. Wow. Your new brain. I, I think that's a really incredible characterization of what you were experiencing. And instead of saying she was my damaged brain, she was my, you know, my nemesis brain, you just said she was my new brain. So, you know, what I get from your book and from the story is that you have to learn how to live with what is new and embrace all the different types of recovery that are essential like sleep and nutrition and you know all the things you need to make it happen and then keep moving forward in your life and you actually like we said you were a cardiology nurse practitioner and then you decided to change tracks after this and become a neurology nurse practitioner so what was that thought process like? And what was it like to take something that happened to you and made you a, a patient, like you were a, you know, a healthcare consumer of services for this condition? And then all of a sudden you decided you were going to be a provider treating people like you. How did how was that? How was that transition? What what did you feel and think throughout that process? 
Well, this inspiration came from a very supportive friend, uh, two supportive friends, and um, they are non-nurses, so they have a different outlook on the world, which is um, wonderful. Um, Because that, you know, sometimes when you're nursing in the profession, you're really focused on your uh, the nursing and medical world. Um, But I was on the deck talking to her on the phone. She had called to check to see how I was doing and recovering. And I was telling her excitedly how I had been reading all the stuff about concussions and and traumatic brain injuries and uh, trying to learn as much as I possibly could to get better because I wanted to get better and be my old self um, as fast as possible. And um, she said, wow, you know what? You're doing all this research and this studying maybe you should become, you should go into neurology and you would be a great um, advocate uh, because you've been there and done that, right? And I was like, oh my gosh, that's a really good idea. And um, I was so excited when she made this recommendation because I I hadn't thought past, you know, the day-to-day. And um, I went I went to bed and couldn't sleep because I was so excited about this idea of going into neurology that I stayed up looking up all the steps and things I needed to know and do to get trained and um, qualified for a that type of position. And fortunately, over time, a position in neurology did pop up at my uh, place of work and it was for um, a training position. So um, Mm. I didn't have to come in with a whole lot of knowledge. I could start off from scratch as a, just a general nurse practitioner and follow the neurologists and get trained. And so it was great. And that's what I did. And um, I learned a lot and I, and I've been there ever since and I love it. That's fantastic. And did you have to get like a postgraduate certificate or anything like that? Or was it all on the job training? It was, well, I, my nurse practitioner license is um, a family nurse practitioner. Um, So Mm -hmm. um, it allows me to work from conception to cremation and Mm -hmm. which, um, uh, so I didn't have to get recertified in uh, with my nurse practitioner certificate, but um, I did have to, you do have to prove um, didactic education and that Mm -hmm. you um, did receive the training. I see. I see. And in your work in neurology now, do you work with a lot of people who have either had a traumatic brain injury, like, you know, an MVA or something like that, and also people who've had strokes, et cetera? Yes. I have had um, a small population of patients who have had traumatic brain injuries. Um, a majority, though, of my patients who have ha- uh, who have had a traumatic brain injury have a history of epilepsy because you can ha- mm. develop traumatic epilepsy um, after a head injury. So that's where some of my patient population comes from. And then um, a lot of the stuff that I've kind of learned on the way is really helpful for my patients who have Parkinson's and multiple sclerosis who struggle with that mild cognitive impairment. Mm-hmm. And then um, I do have patients who have dementia and knowing what it's like to struggle with your, your um, 
cognitive function. I'm able to help caregivers understand how to better take care of their loved ones who are slipping deeper into dementia. Thinking about all the different potential symptoms, you know, executive function issues, organizational skills, feeling overwhelmed by sound, you know, um, the the mental health issues too, depression, suicidality, oh, you know, name, you know, you know it all, you know, it's all there. So one question I have for you is, is traumatic brain injury and the effects and symptoms, are they covered by the Americans with Disabilities Act? Yes. Yes. And a good way to... Are you speaking to um, seeking ideas for work accommodations and student accommodations? I'm thinking about accommodations for somebody like you or maybe a patient who works in, I don't know, a stock brokerage firm or a bank or whatever. You know, how much can you ask for and how much does your employer legally have to accommodate you if you're having these sorts of symptoms? Well, I tell my patients um, that I recommend them to go to a website. It's called uh, Job Accommodations Network. And it, mm-hmm. it's also known as Jan, J-A-N. Uh, I think it's .com. And you can go on that website. You can click traumatic brain injury or any uh, dis, uh, chronic illness. And then within uh, that uh, window, will there will pop up various accommodations for whatever symptom that you have. So if, say, you have difficulty with the sound sensitivity, then they talk about um, asking for a reasonable accommodation would be to be able to wear noise counseling, earbuds, or headphones while at work. Um, to ask for a cubicle that has soft foam uh, siding rather than metal because metal sound bounces off more off of metal than it does like something softer. I'm sure you know that being a podcaster. Um, mm-hmm. And um, there are uh, other accommodations, especially if the person has uh, light sensitivity, um, turning off or removing fluorescent lights, putting up fluorescent blocking um, equipment, being able to wear dark glasses if, if necessary. When asking for these accommodations, you do not have to share your diagnosis but with your HR person, um, but you do have to tell them your symptoms and, mm-hmm. and you do have to bring, uh, bring supporting evidence with a doctor's note. Okay. Okay. Well, that's fair. And it is um, askjan.com. I just looked it up. A-S-K-J-A-N, askjan.org. So that's a great uh, little um preview of what can be found on that website. And that's super important, especially when you have a patient with any types of symptoms, any type of condition where you feel like you need to help that patient figure out how to advocate for themselves in the workplace. And if you are a nurse practitioner, a provider who can write a letter of support and explain what your patient is experiencing from a medical point of view, you could really help them be able to 
maintain their job because I mean that's the whole that's the whole point of your book, right? Your right. whole point of your book is after the crash, how to keep your job, stay in school and live life after brain injury. And I guess part of keeping your job and staying in school is making sure that you get the accommodations you need so that you can be successful. Right. And that website gives you reasonable accommodation. So it's a very good guideline for providers who are writing these notes and for patients to ask for, because that's the key thing is your, your request has to be reasonable. If it, um, I'm not a lawyer, um, Mm -hmm. but if your ask impacts the business, then the employer can say, no, we, we can't accommodate you. Um, And so this website will help you stay in those parameters um, so that your asks are um, reasonable. Mm -hmm. And so important. Yeah. And what I normally do is I talk to my patients, I talk to them about their symptoms and try to uh, figure out what are their symptoms. And then I talk to them about possible accommodations because I'm aware of what has what's out there and what has worked for me and so forth. I like to encourage my patients to go there on their own and read those accommodations and then send me a message back about any additional accommodations they have seen that they want. Because they're, when you're a survivor and you're in the thick of the woods, you're the only person who knows what's going to work for you. And um, it's really important that you take uh, the the wheel of the car and um, seek out what is it that's going to help you continue to work and study because no one else is going to be able to figure that out for you except you and then uh, once you have that knowledge then um, ask for those uh, those accommodations. Good point. Good point. Now before we go, I'd like to ask a couple more questions about your book. Um, how did you write this book while you were working full time? How did you pull that off? That um, is a really good question. So first, I I pulled a lot of my content from journals. I wrote I I wrote about my recovery in my journals over the years, and I put that together, and I um, hired or I I signed up for a membership through a book. Uh, a a self-publishing book company called Book Launchers. And that company, you can check out on uh, YouTube. They have a ton of videos about how to write a book, get a book out there. I definitely recommend it if you want to be an author. And um, the company offers services um, where you meet with a writing coach. And um, they also have classes and videos, like I said, to help you become an author. And so I took baby steps because uh, that's what you need to do when you have a brain injury. Everything's about the baby steps, not looking at the big picture. So I first started out just 20 minutes on the weekend, setting a timer, writing for 20 minutes. And as time passed, I was able to commit more and more time to, uh, to the point where gradually every weekend I was putting in 16 hours, eight hours on Saturday and Sunday. And then mm-hmm. uh, towards the end, because um, you know you're getting towards the end of your book and the your goals and your deadlines are coming up, I spent every lunch break, every day off, every vacation, 
writing and working on that book. And that sounds maybe overwhelming, but if you start with just that 20 minutes on this on a Saturday mm-hmm. and slowly work your way up, it's not as bad as it sounds. Yeah. It's like you do it one bite at a time, right? Exactly. Just one thing at a time. Now, it, do you also have it on Audible? I do have it on Audible. It was really important for me to have the book on Audible because after a brain injury, um, you have very little cognitive uh, energy to be able to read and memorize and understand. Mm. And um, I had found that it was easier for me to absorb information um, by listening to books and to uh, watch videos on YouTube and and so forth. I go into that more in my book. Um, So I wanted to make my book super easy to read, super easy to listen to, um, get to the point, get get you your tools and strategies and what you've got to do to start uh, yourself on the right road to recovery. Hmm. And do you read the book on Audible or is it someone else reading it? I actually read the book on Audible. Oh my gosh, it was exhausting. I've heard how (laughs) exhausting it can be to record a book. Yes, yes. but It's not as simple as it sounds. No, and I had a wonderful editor and um, I a uh, sound technician and um, yeah, I got through it and I read it and um, I really wanted it to be in my voice because I wanted my voice to come out in my book. Awesome. So the book is on Audible. It's on Amazon. People can find it wherever books are sold. Exactly. Yes. And and, uh, Apple Tunes. Mm -hmm. It's in ebook form. Mm Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. So your website is kellytuttle.org, kelly, T-U-T-T-L-E.org. You're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and LinkedIn. We'll have links to everything in the show notes. Wherever people are listening, they'll find the links. And people who are providers, who are loved ones of someone with a TBI or who've experienced a stroke or any type of injury to the brain, would do very well to have a copy of this book on hand. Anyone who's experienced a traumatic brain injury who needs to read about Kelly's story and hear about her recovery and all her recommendations for how to recover, this book could not be more important. And Kelly, before we go, I have four lightning round quick questions that I like to ask all my guests. Are you game? I'm game. Let's go. Okay. First question is, How do you define success? I define success by opening um, my patient's view to what they're struggling with. And at that that moment, realizing and understanding their symptoms and how to move forward and realizing that they're not crazy that it these are real symptoms and that they they can move forward and that there is hope that's my definition of success that's lovely okay second question could you name or describe a person who's inspired you in the course of your life they could be living or dead famous or someone none of us would ever have had the opportunity to hear about 
Um, there's been a lot of people. Uh, first, I'd like to start with my parents and my grandparents. My parents taught mm-hmm. me how to make lim- uh, lemonade out of lemons. My mm-hmm. grandparents um, in- uh, showed me that uh, risk taking is definitely worth a try. And mm-hmm. um, uh, I was also inspired by Helen Keller. Mm-hmm. I read her story of when I was very young, and I thought. I have always thought if someone can live an amazing life out hearing or seeing, um, then um, no matter what life brings you, you can um, move forward and learn from your challenges and try to be better, a better person. Oh, I like that. Okay, third question, the penultimate question. Is there a book or a movie now, it doesn't have to be an absolute favorite because that's hard for a lot of us, but a book or a movie that's had an impact on either the way you think, the way you approach your work, the way you live your life, anything like that at all. There's definitely been tons um, along the decades of my life and my career, but currently um, the five second rule by Mel Robbins um, hmm. is um she helped me get over the hump of, you know, as 2020 hit, nurses were looking at their careers and wondering, wow, can I continue doing this until I'm 80? You know, can I continue working at the bedside until I'm 80? And she talks, she talked about um, starting a new chapter, no matter uh, how old you are. And she's just very inspirational and really helped. I've, really felt lost after 2020 hit with um, everything going on. And she really helped me create a laser focus goal of what I wanted to do next in the next chapter of my life. And that was to be a traumatic brain injury advocate and to become an author and a speaker uh, speaking for those who can't speak for themselves. I love that. That's wonderful. Okay. Last question. If you were named queen of the world tomorrow, what's the first thing you would want to do to improve the lives of your subjects? Bearing in mind that you're now queen of the world and you have ultimate power, but what's one of the first things you would want to do? I would want everyone to be born into a life where their needs are met and they are loved and valued. Hmm, that's beautiful. Wow, I love that. That that's everything, isn't it? Yes. It comes I love that. that's comes really down to love. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you. Well, Kelly, this has been wonderful. The book is After the Crash, How to Keep Your Job, Stay in School, and Live Life After a Brain Injury. You are really an inspiration. I think you're an amazing human being. And I hope many, many, many people read this book and benefit from it. I'm sure they will. And thank you so much for gracing the airwaves and being here with us. Well, thank you, Keith, for having me. I had a wonderful time. 
Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nurse Keith Show. Remember, the show notes will be at nursekeith.com or on any app where you happen to be listening. Please go to kellytuttle.org and please check out her book, After the Crash. Get a copy, have one in your office, buy one for someone you know who would benefit from it. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered from this episode. If you need personalized holistic career coaching to elevate your nursing or healthcare career, check out Nurse Keith Coaching and nursekeith.com. Mention the show and get 10% off your first coaching package. We are proud members of the Health Podcast Network, which you can find at healthpodcastnetwork.com. We're adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote, one of my favorites by the musician Robert Fripp. May my living honor my parents. May my living repay the debt of my existence. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico and Kelly Tuttle, my new friend and colleague, saying arrivederci from Sacramento, California. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thanks to everyone for listening and we will catch you on the proverbial flip side.